0: Church family, it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, When I was in Bible college and just learning and just beginning to preach on occasion, there were friends of mine who would say they get more nervous the larger the crowd gets. And believe it or not, I'm actually kind of the opposite. Uh, I don't know if it's because I don't have to look at the same face all the time, I can look at a bunch of different ones, or for whatever reason. So this morning, I'm feeling pretty good. I like the full house. So glad you are here and able to be, be here with us. The resurrection, Easter Sunday morning, why do we celebrate? Why do we set it aside as a day that is different than any other day? Why do we come together and, and share on a day like today? What's the big deal? What is the big deal with the resurrection? Does it really matter? Should it be viewed differently? than any of the other powerful miracles that Jesus performed? The answer is, it's a huge deal. It does really matter. And it most certainly should be viewed differently than any of the other powerful miracles of Jesus. For you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central doctrine of Christian belief. The resurrection validates the life The words, the ministry, and the works of Jesus. Stephen Um put it this way, if Jesus really defeated death, that gives credence to every claim He made. If Jesus did not defeat death, every claim He ever made is proven false. So yes, the resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. It is a huge ordeal. The resurrection is the central doctrine of Christian belief. Everything else rises and falls on the power of Jesus being displayed on that Sunday morning following the Friday crucifixion. It matters. And sometimes we get lost in why it matters. We've grown up in the South. We've grown up in the Bible Belt. We're, we're here, and maybe, maybe all of our lives we've heard about Easter Sunday morning. All of our lives we've talked about Jesus rising from the dead. All of our lives it has become so second-hand nature to us to know that Jesus rose from the dead that at some point we may have lost some of the meaning. We may have lost some of the impactfulness, some of the power in the event But for us today in 21st century North Alabama, what do we learn from the resurrection? What is the value for us today? Well, I'm glad you asked. So if you will turn over in your bulletin on the back, you'll see we have three points to cover. We're going to cover the first two fairly quickly, and then we're going to hone in on that third one. But I want you to stick with me because what we say getting to that third one kind of sets it up. The resurrection for us, first and foremost, secured the identity of Jesus. It secured the identity of Jesus. You see, the resurrection proved that Jesus was who He said He was. He claimed to be the Son of God sent by God. Everything he said, everything he did leading to that moment on Golgotha, leading to that moment of being led up to Calvary, was led to this point so that he could fulfill his mission. And as we've talked about over the last few weeks, the cross was a triumph for us as it showed us and it gave us our salvation. It was a triumph for us as it showed us the love of God. And it was last week we've discovered a triumph as Jesus defeated evil. But it is so important that that the, the resurrection come after that to prove once and for all that Jesus was who He said He was. Do you see, if Jesus had not raised from the dead, if Jesus had simply walked on earth and He did these miracles and He did these amazing things, over time there would come a point where everything He had done, everything He had said, every miracle would have been explained away. There would come a point where human nature would take over, and the skepticism of such crazy things would, would, that Jesus supposedly had done that we hear about would be washed away. Surely it couldn't be true. Surely there wasn't a man who did these things. You say, well, Keenan, I don't believe that. I think Jesus was so powerful. I think He was such a unique individual. I think because He was God in the flesh, I think that He would continue on to be who He said He was whether He raised from the dead or not. Do you really believe that? Let me give you a very lame illustration. For those of you who are about my age or a little older, how much difficulty do you have explaining to this younger generation that the greatest basketball player who ever played was Michael Jordan? Because they want to put this guy on the other, on the top, this other guy. And they do that because they themselves did not see Michael play. So every chance we get, anytime Michael Jordan comes on, I'm turning it on. Hey, watch this move. Hey, look at what he can do. Because I want my children to understand, MJ's the best. But because they didn't see him, they doubt it. How about this one? I was watching 30 for 30 the other night about Bo Jackson. Y'all remember Bo? Come on. Probably the greatest athlete, athlete of all time. But his, his uh, things he accomplished, the things he did on the baseball field and football field to a, a younger generation who never saw him play, would see that as myth or legend. Surely he wasn't that good. Surely he didn't throw Harold Reynolds out from the wall in left field without the ball ever touching the ground. Surely he did not run over Boz at the goal line. Surely he did not run a 4.12.40 at 220 pounds. Surely, he is too good to be believed. You see, we have a skeptic nature. And if you think the resurrection isn't important, what you miss is that Jesus would have, his identity as being the Son of God would have been lost over time it validated everything he did. He proved he was the Son of God. According to Paul in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 3, he said, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. His resurrection, the power of God working in him, raising him from the dead, validated everything he ever did or said. It proved he was who he said he was. He is the Son of God. It also proved he is the Messiah, the one who was looked forward to, the one who was being set out and set apart, the one who would free the people from their sin. He's seen as that in Acts chapter 13, Luke writes, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses To the people. Basically, what he's saying there is because he has been viewed by people who are alive, that he was alive, they are now serving as his witnesses. In verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, all the things that were talked about in the prophets, all the things that were promised that the Messiah would do, verse 33, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus was witnessed as being raised from the dead. He saw the disciples. He saw the women at the tomb as we read earlier this morning. He saw 500 different individuals witnessed Him being alive. What's interesting to me is if you go back and you read the, the, uh, the historian Josephus, who was a Jew but was not a Messianic Jew, he did not believe Jesus to be the Messiah. Yet in his writings, I looked it up this week, he writes about a resurrected Jesus that he was viewed and seen by people, proving everything that he had said about himself. So his his resurrection secured his identity. Secondly, his resurrection secured our salvation. Romans 4.25 says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, raised, resurrected, for our justification." Dr. Thomas Schreiner is a New Testament professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I had the opportunity to sit under him and have him for a class of New Testament while I was there. He writes this, both the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are necessary for forgiveness of sins and justification. When God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was a demonstration That he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin, and that the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against sin, was directed toward Christ and through Christ toward those who believe. God's approval of Christ at the resurrection results in God's approval also of all who are united in Christ, and in this way results in our justification. What's he saying? Long and short of it is, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, our justification was not complete. Through the resurrection of Jesus, those of us who have surrendered our life to him, those of us who have been forgiven of our sins because we asked him to forgive us of our sins, those of us who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our justification happens because the resurrection happened. Hebrews chapter 7, the Hebrew writer says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So he's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system. The high priest would go in and he would… he would sacrifice for the people once a year, Day of Atonement. He would walk in with a blood sacrifice. You know how that works. He doesn't dare walk into the Holy of Holies without the blood. The blood was his ticket in. If he walked in and dared to come into the presence of God without the blood of the sacrifice, he would be struck dead immediately. But so, he's saying that they all passed away, that there had to be many high priests. He never, he never continued to do their work because they would die. But look at verse 14, excuse me, verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues Forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We can't miss it. Today, on Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Day, we cannot miss that Jesus is alive. We cannot think that He is like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter or the widow's son or anyone else in the New Testament who was raised from the dead who then died again. Jesus never died again. He is alive, Shane. He is sitting at the right hand of His Father. He is interceding for us as our great high priest. He never has to stop interceding for us because He never dies. He is living forever. And because He always lives to make intercession for us, we know that the resurrection matters. We don't have a dead savior. We don't have, like any other religion in the world whose founder is dead. We have the founder of our religion, the one our our faith and beliefs are based on. He is alive, living today, standing beside the Father, interceding for us. Can't miss that. The resurrection secured the identity of Jesus. The resurrection secured our salvation. But thirdly, and probably a little longer, instead of thirdly and more quickly, right? Thirdly and maybe a little longer, the resurrection secured our victory over death. It secured our victory over death. Now, here's where I'm going to step off to the side for a second. And I want to give you some information, some background to hang on to. Go ahead and open in your Bibles if you have them with you to 1 Corinthians 15, because we're going to spend some time there over the next little bit as we finish out this sermon. But I want you to catch this. We cannot miss this. Our God, as we know, is eternal. He has eternal attributes. What do I mean by that? Some of his eternal attributes are he is all knowing, he is all present. He is all-powerful. You've heard these things, right? He is all of these things. He is eternal. means he. there is no beginning of Him. There is no end of Him. And I'll be honest with you, the no end of Him doesn't hurt me near as bad as the no beginning. You ever think about that and run that around in your brain? That God, the Almighty Creator, has no beginning? Think about that today. But the characteristic of God and his eternality that I love the most is the fact that he is immutable. That means he never changes. Nothing ever changes in him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that, that was talking to David and Moses and Elijah is the same God that was, that was represented in talking to Peter and John and James. And he's the same God and the same powerful God that we have for us today. What he decides and and goes with and demands does not change from day to day. I hate it. I hate it when I'm working somewhere or I'm doing something and the expectations or the bar keeps moving. I don't know if you're like that. That they, yesterday they wanted you to do it this way, but tomorrow they're going to tell you to do it that way. And you can never seem to get it right or get ahead. And that has always bugged me. But God is not like that. The same things that was sin yesterday will be sin tomorrow. You all with me? Part of his eternality, the fact that he has always been, and the fact that we see, we, we see time differently. We see time as linear. There's a moment where we're born, and there's a moment when we die. We think we have, you know, midlife crisis, Around 35 to 40 years old, you're going, wait a minute, no, no, that's too early. Well, if man typically lives to be 70 to 80, got any mid-30s folks in here, welcome to midlife. However, our midlife is really determined by our death date. Someone who is tragically removed from this world by cancer at the age of 32, their midlife is 16, but they probably don't see it that way. Those of us who have known tragic events of children, they had no idea when their midlife was. And here's the point neither do you. You don't know if you've already passed it, or if you're coming up to it, or if you're well beyond it, because none of us know about tomorrow. But God sees time different, God is outside of time. God doesn't see linear time. He is what we call eternal, so He sees, and this is hard to get our mind around, but He sees all of our time, all of the days from Adam and Eve until the return and second coming of Jesus Christ, He sees all of that as the right now. Right now. So what does that mean? What do we do with that? You've heard the old country, our southern gospel song, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. There's actually good theology in that song, because God sees all of it right now. So when Jesus was on the cross, he also saw your particular salvation experience in the right now, right then. He sees you asking him for forgiveness at the same time Jesus is dying for your sins on the cross. Y'all with me? Everybody do your head this way. Okay. But what else does that mean when it comes to the resurrection? When Jesus rose from the dead, because of what we've already seen about Him securing our salvation, because Jesus conquered death and had victory over death, so do we. At the moment Jesus rose on Sunday morning, when the stone rolled away and Jesus rose in the eternal right now, God sees your resurrection if you're a child of His. You get that? You see why Easter is such a big deal? It's not simply that Jesus is unique and Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, all of that's great. All of that is wonderful. But as for you, for right now, for your own personal edification, God sees you. Easter Sunday morning, rising in the resurrection. Because you have been saved by grace through faith. But if you haven't, if there's never been a time that you have asked God to forgive you, that you have surrendered your life to follow him, if there's never been a time, Jesus, I I pray that time is coming for you. You understand it could be today. You understand when Jesus was on the cross and our sins were written on that placard that they put above his head that we talked about last week, when he did that, he would see your salvation experience of today, if today is your day. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, and he sees you and your sins and what he has for you to wipe that away. And then three days later, victory, victory, victory over death when Jesus raised from the dead, and he sees your resurrection as well. But you, you have to receive it. It's not something that's just automatically given to you. There is no such thing as universalism. There is no such thing that every person under, under, under heaven will eventually make their way into heaven because God is love. No, 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 no. Go back and watch two weeks ago. We decided what God was, and we decided what love was. And it's not your definition. It's his. God loved you enough that he gave his only begotten son so that you should not perish but have eternal life. All of that is setting up victory over death. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, so start off, let me remind you, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And there are a group of believers there in that church who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, but they do not believe in the resurrection of believers. They don't believe there will be a final resurrection of us. They've let let some pagan teaching get involved in their church, and they don't believe that the people, that we as believers will be… What's that word? Resurrected. Thank you. But they believe in Jesus being raised. So look what he says. If there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, what are we doing here? We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is all there is, if there is no resurrection of the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. What's Paul's argument? He's saying without the reality of the resurrection, our salvation is nothing but a sham the proclamation of the gospel is utterly pointless, and Christians are to be pitied because we believe these things. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then all of Paul's preaching and teaching is in vain. It's useless, it's pointless. And he and his partners are liars. And the Corinthians' faith is useless and pointless. They are still in their sins. All who have died have perished. There is no eternal life. You understand what that means? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus himself wasn't resurrected from the dead, and therefore our salvation is not complete. Our justification is not finished, and there is nothing for us, and all the people, all of our loved ones who have come before us, they're not with Jesus, they've perished, because everything in our Christian faith rises and falls on the resurrection. Stephen Oom um says this, if Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead, a real historical event, that should change everything. We have both hope and joy. It changes the way we view ourselves, the world, our neighbors, creation, God, and history. It changes everything. But if Jesus Christ were not bodily raised from the grave, then Christianity has nothing to say. We have no hope, no joy, no exhortation, no inspiration. That's a sad story. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, if Resurrection Sunday did not happen, we have no hope. But I love verse 20. Verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the firstfruits, the first of many. Therefore, since he was raised, so will we be. So all those negative points that Paul has talked about beginning in verse 13, they have now turned positive because he has raised from the dead. Paul's preaching, his teaching, our preaching, our teaching is not useless. The resurrection validates the message of the gospel. Their faith, our faith, it's not futile, but rather it's effectual, it's efficient, it's profitable. Their sins and our sins are forgiven, and there is eternal life because the resurrection of Jesus Christ we do not Perish. What is the big deal about the resurrection? Everything, everything is big about the resurrection. This isn't just another day to come to church and to hear a message and to have an opportunity to be be brought into God's presence and just to do the same all, same all because it's Easter Sunday morning. I made the joke earlier. This is not church prom. This is Easter Sunday morning. He is alive. And because He's alive, He has secured His identity. Because He is alive, He has given us victory over death. Look at now what it goes on and it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty one, He says, "'For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive.'" but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What's, what's Paul saying here? Basically, if, if Dr. Frank Thielman kind of sums it up, he says, Adam represented the whole human race. The whole human race would follow Adam with sin. His sin, therefore, affected all human beings. Similarly, Christ represented all who would belong to him, and his obedience, therefore, affected all believers. Don't miss that phrase, those who belong to Him. Friends, there are some of us here in this room, Easter Sunday morning, and you do not yet belong to Him. You say, well, you know, if you're a a typical coming to Easter kind of person, you're saying, well, here it comes. Here's the part where the preacher tells me where I'm so bad. Hear me, that's not my goal. My goal is to tell you how good he is. That you, though you were dead in your sins, he came and lived and died for you. And because he is outside of time and he sees all of creation and all of time that we know as time, all at the eternal present, because he sees it all right now, he saw you on his cross. When the Romans wrote his crime, as we mentioned before, and they put it above his head, and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, that was for you. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you. Don't worry about somebody and, and your mama who's down the street. Don't worry about anybody else. It was for you. He died for you. And he lives for you. And when he resurrected, if you come to a saving knowledge of him, if you come to a place where you ask him to forgive you, if you come to a place where you say, I surrender my life and I'm going to follow you as best I can. And as I learn and grow, I'll I'll follow you more and I'll learn more and I'll do better. But I'm going to grow and you're going to transform me and I'm going to come. And then he sees your resurrection. It all comes together in that instant, that moment. Romans 5.17 says, For if, because because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's not just about the eternal pie in the sky, by and by, one day you get to go to heaven. It's about right now. Jesus said, I came to give you life. And you can have it abundantly. So don't hear this as how bad are you. Don't hear this as how, how bad you must be as a sinner. Hear this as how good God is. In that he conquered the final enemy in death for you. It's for you.